0: This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Monday, October 17th, we welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Jesper with Hicks. How's your Monday to this point, pal?
1: It's doing uh, pretty good. How was your weekend?
0: Yeah, it was a nice weekend. We got I out saw. to the mountains and uh, had an amazing time. It was—I uh, was in an interesting position. Uh, my wife Carrie was at a stagette. She was attending a stagette, and Uh-oh. typically, you know, when you're in a relationship, Uh-oh. if your partner is attending a stagette, you want to do everything you can to stay all the way out of the way. But as you know we have a wee one, we have a 4-month-old, daddy duty. And so she's got to be with little Noah every, you know, few hours, every 4 hours, something sure. like that, so they can connect and and she can continue to sustain him. Life is a beautiful <laughs> thing. And so we packed up the whole family The two little guys, the two dogs, and we hit the highway, and uh, we set up shop in uh, Canmore, Alberta.
1: Where the stagette
0: was. uh, Where the stagette was. And I held down the home base while she partied and then returned and then partied and returned. Although, if I'm being (sighs) accurate, the the interpretation or the manifestation of party these days is much different than it was 15 years
1: ago. Well, I'll tell you, you continue to keep nudging that bar higher and my wife will definitely be mentioning this to me now when she has a stagette or a function i'll be uh, forced to load up the car and follow her and do <laughs> I mean, a that's gay. It just remote it. mobile location outside of where she is
0: i felt like the entire time though i was like i just i hope that i'm accruing points here yeah, i hope oh, that i'm accruing sure. points through the entire 100 you did although she's been accruing points that I will never meet nor exceed yeah uh, for the next number of years no matter how hard I try over the weekend we saw this video so did everybody else I think and I've been so looking forward to checking in with real talkers about this <laughs> this this is the, I, oh my gosh how do we even tee this up the National Gallery one of the most famous paintings in the world I want to ask both of our guests about this today Professor Timothy Caulfield coming up in just about five minutes and Charles Adler of course joins us every Monday we get really excited about that I'm sure Adler will have a strong take on this one too the mm-hmm. uh, these two individuals, uh, by the names of Anna Holland and Phoebe Plummer, they've already inf- appeared in front of the in front of the courts for this move at the National Gallery, splashing two cans of tomato soup on Van Gogh's masterpiece, Sunflowers. Let's let's roll the video. Here's what it is. If you haven't seen it yet, here's what we're talking about. This an act of protest, of course.
2: Oh! Oh my God.
0: All right. So if you're listening on the podcast Security. now, that you're, they reach in they pull out crazy glue out of their bras out of their pockets and they glue their hands to the wall john you can hear the people gasping yeah in the background or art. they're putting their uh, glue all over their hands they glue themselves to the drywall they sit there and then they start to make their statement they're representing this group and, and now everybody's talking about the group so you can argue that the stunt worked well the stunt definitely worked what
2: is worth more art or life Is it worth more than food? Worth more than justice? Are you more concerned about the protection of a painting? Or the protection of our planet and people? The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil crisis. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup.
0: So, like, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Mm -hmm. Now... Don't worry everybody The painting is obviously Behind a protective glass I
1: looked it up It's actually shatterproof Temperature controlled glass
0: Like we're talking about A masterpiece worth yeah, millions So obviously you can't Just roll up and, and damage yeah. it
1: A lot of people thought it, You know oil paintings Can't be behind glass Because it actually degrades them But it's temperature cooled There's a slight gap In the layer there between it So it's it's very safe So,
0: so to get and to give you a sense Of what they're charged with here They're, they're charged with uh, Criminal damage to the value of less than five thousand mm-hmm. pounds. And uh, the details that have surfaced here, they appeared in front of District Judge Tan Irkham, who released them on bail on the condition <laughs> on the conditions they don't enter galleries or museums <laughs> and don't have paint or adhes- adhesive substances in a public place. Yeah. Uh, but but they say that uh, their 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 prosecutor in particular says the value of the damage is quote significantly below the five thousand pound cost threshold. In fact they say mm-hmm. the biggest damage was done to the frame Mm -hmm. not to the painting itself but people are saying well hang on this it's the principle
1: wait i think the biggest damage was to art connoisseurs
0: hearts oh so you have (laughs) no because some people are absolutely outraged some people are flipping out some people want to see them in prison for
1: life i know i saw your post i know this drives you nuts but i i'm here to play devil's advocates because uh I don't get art. If it's not music, dance, or acting, I really just don't get art. And I know it's a very $100 million painting. But to me, I kind of, uh, like it It was bold and, and I got their statement. I mean, if there's no planet, there's no art. For me, I'd rather hang a Bob Ross scenescape than a <laughs> Van Gogh or a, or a Da Vinci. I just don't get that form of art, but I understand that it's important. But for me, I, I don't know, man, like 70% of the world's wildlife gone in the last 50 years. Uh, what do you expect kids nowadays who are like 15, 16, becoming adults to do? They banged on every door. They've signed every petition. They've marched, they protested, they've done everything they can and we haven't done anything. If there's anything, man, we've accelerated. Well, the there's, been a, there's been
0: a lot of commentary on this. And I think like you've hit several nails on the head. One yeah. of them is that that these individuals, these gals, plus others around them and others involved with this 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 uh, activism. Uh, the group is called Just Stop Oil. Yep. And there have been some questions about where Just Stop Oil gets its funding. And people are actually wondering if this is a big cooked up scheme I
1: saw the, uh, to
0: actually turn people against environmental activism. The so, there, so there's that angle, too. Uh, But these gals in particular said, listen, we we have done this stuff. We have attempted the political activism. We have tried to participate in the political process. And and so you look bigger picture. Now, obviously, one of the concerns and this makes me uh, do I say can I use? No, I can't use it. Can I use the phrase (laughs) fuddy daddy without sounding old? No, Uh, but this makes me sound like one is you'll say, well, well, but if you give them a pass on this, then what's the next move? Mm-hmm. Like, what if somebody, you know, finds a way to Levels blow up, up. blow yeah. up the Statue of Liberty yeah, of course. and say, well, now are you going to pay attention to climate activism, right? Of or course. what if somebody does something, you know, irreparably damages something mm-hmm. that... You know, I mean, we, oh, geez, my mind can go off in so many rabbit holes here, but I mean, I look at even, you know, when, 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 you know, the the, the devastation in Syria over the past number of years, yeah. or in Iraq during that invasion. You look at at some of these treasures. I mean, you know, geez, we look back. I mean, can I really open this one up? You you look at 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 the at, you know what happened through the course of World War II and mm-hmm. and what the Nazis did with regard and 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 you take a look at in, in Canada. Oh, you mean, and all and hiding all the art? Yeah, and, yeah, even talking about like indigenous people want to talk about reconciliation. Here, a lot of this comes back to art and artifacts and things and items of cultural significance. So so, which
1: ones are okay? Like the red paint on the statues? You're like, okay, maybe that's okay, but the tomato soup on the art. Look, I think You can argue the red
0: paint on the statues is art.
1: Yeah. I know. It's there's so many avenues. But also, I think they knew they did Van Gogh for a reason. He was a nature lover. It was they were very calculated in what they were doing. And I think I don't know for me. And I say this knowing we're living in a province where families, the roots, the tentacles of everything in our economy here is based on oil and gas. Uh, you know, I read this story on my phone, which I know has petroleum products in it. I love it. It's my connection to the universe, sure. the world.
0: I mean, people are saying they glued themselves to the wall with petroleum products. With glue that probably has, <laughs> sure. you know.
1: Uh, but at the same time, like I said, if you're a kid growing up and you wake up one day disillusioned because you you look at like, like, look at the ozone layer thing. Remember the ozone layer thing yeah, with back CFCs in back in the 80s? Yeah. And all we did was ban CFCs. And I read about it this morning. Did you know by 2070, it's going to be back to pre-1980 levels? It's the smallest it's ever been since 1982 as of 2019, NASA says. So I think they... Kids these days, young adults look at stuff like that and they say, okay, so we can fix things really easily by omitting certain things we do and you choose not to. We're still doing the same thing. So I get what they're saying and I'm I'm here for it. But at the same time, I see your point as well. Like we don't want to have things elevate to the level of, of people blowing stuff up or, or, yeah. or causing, you know people getting hurt so we've got
0: two two sort of threads of dialogue that i want to keep an eye on this morning i want to weave this in through today's show we sincerely are interested in and where you land on this we we call this in the business a talker because it it prompts us and and it's a good one and and these two individuals mission accomplished for them because we're discussing it we're having a conversation that i believe to be inherently positive you know but sean wonders can we pour tomato soup on them and leave them there as an installation to give them a voice (laughs) You know, sure. Uh, Alicia says, I get the point. But isn't it kind of ironic to waste a can of soup when they're talking about people who can't afford it? I mean, sure. But, you know, what's what's the can of soup? A couple of bucks and, yeah. the, and the value of using it is... Mm-hmm. I, I, so this is our live chat. We'll keep an eye on that. The other thread is is my Twitter thread where I asked you to, to let me know what you think. I said, we'll hash it out on Monday's Real Talk. And we got a ton of feedback. You know, Trevor Toom, the economist of the University of Calgary, chimes in. I, I said, I made the comment... Uh, Is Caulfield ready to go? By the way, I should get to him in just a second. Okay, we'll get to him in just a second. But Trevor Toome says large audience numbers, because I said 30 million views and counting. You can't say it didn't work. I mean, it's at 48 million views now. So it's almost double that. Um, He says large audience numbers do not necessarily mean it was effective, though. Right. It could be counterproductive, like unhinged stunts risk undermining credibility and support. Says uh, Dr. Toom, in my humble opinion He says much like on the other side Of the debate you know Saskatchewan's Recent insanity with federal Climate policy costs a couple of days ago You saw that Premier Scott Moe releasing This this report commissioned by His government that essentially says that uh, Trudeau's climate policies are going to Cost the province of Saskatchewan about a quarter billion Dollars and Trevor Toom fact checked that and Kind of smacked it down um, You know others have you said that, that you know you Supported it others have you said that they should be Jailed for life You know, Reverend Jeffrey Spencer chiming in says, you know, at this point, is the amount of oxygen we're using and arguing over tomato soup gate helping or hindering the cause that we all agree is vitally urgent? Like, is our scolding or debating the action actually adding to the pollution, right, that many cities have or experience or or cleaning up? Uh, You know, with my take, where I I said, you know, it's, it's effective. You know, I, I would have just left them glued to the wall. DC and Alberta replied, Wow, did I just agree with Jesperson?
1: I like Wally D here. It's a painting that costs nothing that's worth millions of dollars for no reason. I'm on board with that because I, again, I don't get art unless it's music, dance, or acting. But again, I, I think you're right. What like, do you
0: mean you don't get You're a guy with a great appreciation. What do you mean look, you don't get art? This very
1: painting we're talking about yeah. is hanging. In my guest bathroom on the second floor of my four-story townhouse. A print of it? Listen. Or the real one, John. No, my wife in high school. You know how you take an art class and you do a rendering of a famous painting? Wow. She did it. It's one of my favorite paintings. It's hanging in the house. And I can't tell. Van Gogh Sunflowers? Van Gogh Sunflowers. Done by my wife, Jatinder Hicks. I can't tell the fucking So if you I can't tell the difference Hers looks just like it So the next time That you need to make a point To
0: Jatinder You guys are digging in on something Is she an amazing painting You're going to You're going to open up A can of tomato soup And just wham Right onto her painting To make your point Glue yourself to the bathroom wall
1: Is she a world famous artist Or is it just a very simple painting Done by a very uh, A very talented man I'll I'll admit that But you know Like again I'd rather hang a Bob Ross
0: (laughs) I would do anything. Can you imagine being able to interview Bob Ross? May he rest in peace. I talked about Canmore. Caulfield's like, you guys going to fucking bring me into this show or not. We're in Canmore yesterday. They have this this iconic, uh, it's called like the the old time candy shop or something Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, they have a kit. It's like a Bob. But you got to watch the Bob Ross documentary, by the way. It's fascinating because a lot of his legacy is being monetized and Cash isn't necessarily going to the right people. It's actually quite controversial. But you know him, the pretty little trees, yeah. the, pre- the pretty little mountains. They're, they had there in the candy shop a Bob Ross gummy kit. You can mm-hmm. make your own gummies. And I thought, boy, there's a world of opportunities there. Can I just All right.
1: weigh in on the iPad? Looks great, but I love this comment uh, from... Who said it? Uh, Sean says, what's the over-under that uh, Jesserson breaks that new iPad with uh, the oh. mic arm?
0: Why do you, Why do you guys got to go <laughs> saying things? This is called manifesting problems. Because actually, who was it that said that? Uh, Sean, Sean McKinley. Yeah, Sean Sean knows that the chances are actually pretty good, good. that I'm going to take- damage. we got a brand new iPad on our table here. Thanks to Westworld Computer. i got a brand new one here, and chances are I am going to smash it, and I'm hoping not to. Uh, Professor Timothy Caulfield coming up in one minute. He's coming up in one minute, but before he does, I want to remind you about our friends at Apex Automation. If you're a professional engineer in Canada, anywhere in Canada, uh, your day could change today. Your career could change with hearing about ApexAutomation.ca why because they're looking for the most talented engineers in the country right now their main expertise is industrial control systems engineering and software development solutions for any industrial process they started in edmonton the company did but over the last few years they've been expanding locations they're trying to be closer to their client sites and they're supporting clients with quick turnaround service and less travel costs So Apex has invested in building additional offices and hiring and training local team members to service clients, in particular across Western Canada. We're talking Vancouver, Saskatoon, Lloyd, Calgary, Edmonton and beyond. They're looking to make a move to the United States as well. If you're looking to shake up your career and you got your pns you're going to want to check out apexautomation.ca today and before we get to professor caulfield we are sounding the alarm friends because the covenant foundation lottery deadline is fast approaching it's at the beginning of november november 3rd but you don't want to wait till then to get your tickets a chance to live in life changing luxury a 2.2 million dollar dream home you have to see to believe I know it's not the biggest detail, but a huge detail. It comes fully furnished, right? The only thing you got to figure out is your property taxes. You got to figure everything else is covered. Look at this. This would be an unbelievable spot to hang your hat for the rest of your life. But it's not just that. They're giving away trips, uh, trips to Portugal and Scotland and PEI and New York. They're giving away a Beamer and Alfa Romeo, giving away a Lexus, giving away a skiing trip, a fly fishing experience, all in support of the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. You can get your ticket to support the Covenant Foundation Lottery today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Our next guest has established himself as probably the definitive voice in fighting misinformation in Canada. He's the author of the bestseller, Relax, Damn It, A User's Guide to the Age of Anxiety. He's got his own Netflix show. He's a professor of health law and science policy at the University of Alberta. It's always such a pleasure to welcome to the show Professor Tim Caulfield. It's good to see your face, my man. How are you?
3: First of all, who doesn't like art? (laughs) What? <laughs> it's not that he. You don't understand. I don't like, sunshine. I I say I don't that. like you know, dew in the morning, and I don't <laughs> like art.
1: <laughs> I didn't say I don't like art. I just said I don't understand, you know, top shelf art. You don't understand I, why I it's worth $100 million. I understand why those flowers are worth $100 million, is what I said. It's beautiful. And like I said, it's hanging in my home. So.
0: Yeah. There you go. I, I Well, I mean, we don't want to get into It's worth $100 million because there's only one of them, and Van Gogh represents a certain thing, and blah, 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 blah. But hey, Caulfield, what do you think? What do you think? should Like, if, if, if you were the magistrate, if you were the judge sitting on the bench and these two, let's say they plead guilty to damage under $5,000, is it a slap on the wrist? Do you try to make a point? What's your deal?
3: I, I didn't hear the whole story, unfortunately, so I, I can't comment. Did on, you see
0: the tomato soup thrown against the Van Gogh painting in uh, in the National Gallery? I, I didn't, but but oh,
3: wow. I did I don't need to hear more. I, you know, I pride myself being on very plugged into pop culture. So I am ashamed. <laughs> that no, you probably I were you... But I, I, I don't need to hear anymore. Uh, guilty as charged.
0: Uh, so. <laughs> well, it was so here we can just even roll it. So have a look at your screen while we're talking. So so basically it, it's two climate activists. The group is is called Just Stop Oil. And uh, they snuck a couple of cans of tomato soup into the National Gallery. They threw it against Van Gogh's sunflowers. It's behind glass of course there was no damage to the painting and then they glued themselves to the wall uh and then essentially put society on notice they said you guys don't care about cost of living you guys don't care about destruction of the planet but you're going to care a lot about us wrecking this piece of art and so some people are outraged and some people are applauding
4: them
3: well I gotta I gotta say love the organization I love the uh (laughs) the execution that was impressive but it's vandalism
0: slap on the wrist you know that's my judgment right now yeah (laughs) not not knowing more and 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 you know what and 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 i think that the majority of people i think the biggest the biggest detail there was that the painting was behind glass when people didn't realize it when when people first just thought that that van gogh's masterpiece was ruined forever then i think people felt a lot more strongly than they might have once they got the full the full details um we're going to, in just a second, talk about a report that you're releasing. You're going to be set to release this tomorrow about misinformation on TikTok. And and so I was I was hoping that you might be able to give us a bit of an overview or or sort of tee this thing up. I know that most of the details will be embargoed until the report's out tomorrow, but, but what put this on your radar? Why TikTok in particular?
3: Well, well, first of all, as you know, there's just so much misinformation out there. It's ridiculous. It really is uh, one of the greatest challenges of our time. And uh my colleague Marco Zanone, an amazing uh, upcoming scholar, uh he he's thought it important to look at TikTok. And and Ryan, I I think we cannot underestimate the rise of TikTok. It's like two billion people are now, you know, plugged into TikTok. It's huge. Uh it's, it's just huge. And, and that happened very, very quickly. Uh, there have also been some uh, other studies that have found that it's just filled with misinformation. And one study that came out just weeks ago found about 20% of all the information that's being pushed at you on TikTok is is filled with misinformation. And on, for some topics like the COVID vaccines, 50% of what is uh, pushed you know, at you by the algorithms um, filled with misinformation. So this is a serious problem especially for the younger demographic. Yes, that's the 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 demo that that is is using it primarily. In fact, there's interesting research that suggests that it's becoming the primary source of of news uh for the younger generation. So this really really matters. So we wanted to get a sense of how fast misinformation emerges on a particular topic on TikTok. Uh spoiler, really fast. Mm. <laughs> like unbelievably fast. Uh, And we wanted to get a sense of the degree to which you could use an entity like TikTok sort of as a, you know, a watching brief on on what are the emerging themes that need to be tackled
0: is, uh, as Marshall McLuhan said, in this case is the medium, the message I've heard so so much about TikTok, in particular, the Chinese government and it as a potential method of surveillance or infiltration into the Western world. I mean, do we need to start with that perspective and go from there? Well there's you know a lot of really interesting
3: uh complexities with with TikTok you've highlighted one of them and, and another one is just the way it works right the algorithm is based on you know the kind of stuff you're interested in uh and what is is popular right so you don't have to necessarily be um, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow or Tom Brady <laughs> or someone like that, you know, with a really popular uh, feed in order to get to make a, a viral go video. So just one bit of misinformation can take off. Right. And so I think that's that's very interesting. And the other thing is it's visual. There's often stories and narratives. And we know from research that those elements make often make misinformation a little more sticky. So, yeah, a lot of really interesting aspects to TikTok Got to study it more.
0: Yeah, one of the things that you'll notice when you post on uh, different social media platforms, the platform itself, by way of the algorithm, will flag content, and and almost impose. Uh, either uh, you know government endorsed or or health authority endorsed information. For example, if we're going to post on YouTube or Twitter or something like that about COVID nineteen, just using the phrase COVID will trigger it, almost an addendum from the platform that will say, "For more information on COVID nineteen in Canada, or for more information on COVID nineteen, click here." Um, how does TikTok do in particular on flagging misinformation?
3: Well this is a really interesting question also because uh you know I do think we need to to roll out evidence-based strategies on all the platforms right uh in order to to fight misinformation but we want them to be evidence-based and and while those kinds of strategies may intuitively seem like yeah this is a great idea um Do they work? You know, and I think that that's an interesting question. A colleague of mine, Gordon Pennycook, he's an experimental psychologist at the University of Regina. Uh, He's done work with David Rand at MIT, and they found that, you know, sometimes there's unintended consequences with that kind of thing, Ryan, because think of this. Does that mean that everything else that's not flagged is okay, and we don't have to worry about it? Um, it has this unintended consequence of kind of heightening the veracity of the other stuff, even though that also might be questionable. So there's a, we need evidence based strategies. But I'll end on a positive note on this one. I like I like that the platforms are trying to do something. They're recognizing their role. Yes, they need to do much much more. But at least there's this growing recognition that that something has to happen.
0: When you ha- can, can you take us into your research because like m- my understanding is that you spent or you or your team or your your colleagues spent like hundreds and hundreds of hours going through different videos. Can you take us through the process? I think it would be fascinating for people to hear like like how you come across the videos, what you're looking for in particular, what qualifies. I mean, aside from the obvious, what qualifies as as misinformation, and and ultimately what what you're endeavoring to achieve. Achieve here, like what the end game is?
3: Yeah. And so I'll, I'll talk about this globally. So, for a lot of the research that we do, and first of all, I want to highlight. I'm so lucky, Ryan, that I have this amazing team because I do not have the uh, the methodological skills z z z z to do a lot of this this work. So I, I'm lucky that I have this fantastic interdisciplinary team. You know, individuals who uh, who study these kinds these kinds of methods. And Marco is just you know one example of many. But but what our team has generally done is is we look for content. So whether it's in the news, uh, whether it is on a social media platform that's text space. Or whether you know it's videos, and the other thing we that are we study a lot are are the impact of search results, right? So if you you know if you search something on Google, the page that you get back, right? That's that's your that that's your information universe, right? You know, if you search immune boosting, the page in which we've done. Uh, you get back a page of results and studies tell us and include our own work that it's filled with mis- misinformation no one goes past the first page right you know where do you hide a dead body ryan on the second page of a google search right <laughs> you know and and many people only go to the snippet and again research shows that that's often uh, inaccurate so what we did with this tiktok uh, study is, yeah, we identified, uh, what we wanted to do is get a sense, and I have to be careful how much I say because it is embargoed, but uh, we wanted to get a sense of how much misinformation emerged as soon as the World Health Organization started talking about this as, you know, uh, a, a, an infection that's spreading beyond borders, right? And so we that was sort of uh, time point zero. Uh, and look, it was incredible. Within hours, misinformation started to spread. And and this is something else I think is really important for us to talk about because it's clearly misinformation. This isn't stuff that is, you know, open for scientific debate and, you know, that it's, uh, you know, unclear and there's still scientists out there analyzing. This is stuff that's clearly, clearly misinformation. And then we actually had to watch the videos. (laughs) Like if you're doing a text-based study, you can do it really quickly, right? But here we actually had to watch the videos and Marco watched hundreds more than i did because i was the the, the intercoder reliability guy i watched hundreds myself and just the rage the rage that you see from these people spreading spreading misinformation the other really interesting thing that i i think is worth discussion what's with the car videos you know i feel like a third of them <laughs> are people driving in their car yelling into their phone i I don't get why they're do- they the rage emerges within them in the car but that's where so many of them are
0: I I can give a few uh, examples of how rage might rise when you're behind the wheel of a car, (laughs) but I've been working on that for years. So uh, before I move on, because I I will acknowledge that I've spent uh, the majority of this interview thus far asking you about something that you kindly asked me not to ask you too much about (laughs) uh, because the report's out tomorrow and people can follow you at Caulfield Tim uh, on Twitter and I know that you'll be pushing that out. We will obviously push that content out as well when you officially release it tomorrow. But let me ask you this quickly. Is is, is, with regards to TikTok... uh, there's, there's misinformation everywhere. And this is what we're about to transition to you and me. And I'm looking forward to your take on this, but, but is it with TikTok in particular, is it the platform? Is it the algorithm? Is it the audience, the demographic, like what is it that allows it to spread like wildfire?
3: All the above. Yeah. <laughs> All the above. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and there've been interesting studies again, one that came out just, I'm going to say last week about the role of the algorithm, right? Uh, it, it just, you know, it, it's interested in getting, you know, clicks and eyes on the screen, uh, that's what it's designed to do. So the algorithm, uh, not just on on TikTok, but on really all the platforms, even on Amazon, there's really interesting study that looked at Amazon analysis that looked at uh, Amazon. And if you, you know, you search a particular word, the books that you get back are often filled with misinformation. So the algorithm, a big part of the story. So that, you know, that's going to have to be part of our response to the spreading of misinformation, how do we deal with those? Transparency is a good starting place. Uh, the the other thing, is, you know, the demographic is really important too. There is some studies, and, and I think this is complex, and we have to be really careful not to overgeneralize, that the younger demographic more likely to fall for mis- misinformation. And, and I, I don't think it's because, you know, they're not as smart or anything like that, have less critical thinking skills. It's just that they're bombarded with it more right they're more likely to, to to just be uh seeing this content and that that might play to it and they also might feel there's that vulnerability part of it they might feel like you know this isn't really relevant to me and take sort
0: of a more distance
3: view of of, of a particular topic so yeah it's all it really is all the above
0: yeah uh although i wonder if maybe even the younger generation might actually have better tools to identify misinformation, disinformation. I I saw a note, I think it was Tracy, someone on our live chat made the point that it's something that they're starting at least to discuss and teach in schools. And I think that that idea around critical thinking skills, we've noticed, it seems to me two things. If if you sit down the average person, you have a coffee or a beer or whatever, and you say, what do you wish they would have taught you in school? What do you wish they would have taught you about more? People typically say like, you know, uh, critical thinking with regards to identifying misinformation and financial literacy. Those are the two things I, I don't think we do very well.
3: Yeah, and there's a good news story here too because studies have shown consistently that teaching critical thinking really can make a difference. It really can. And They've done these studies around the world, and teaching media literacy really can make a difference. And it sounds like a you know—a heavy idea. You know, it's really—you know—critical thinking, really basic stuff. If you teach really basic stuff, it can make a big, a big difference. Even asking people to pause for a moment and just think about the nature of the evidence that's being used to support a claim can increase uh, people's ability to spot misinformation and also not spread uh, misinformation. And that research has actually been replicated in a couple couple laboratories around the world. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, teach more critical thinking. And, and, and I think we need to do it from You know, primary school and and right across, you know, our the lifespan
0: 100 percent. Like, how do we know if what Ryder is saying on Paw Patrol is bullshit or real (laughs) and then go from there so they know from four (laughs) years old on? They know what they're talking about. Hey, I would never I wouldn't typically say this to a guest, but but I want I want to shoot straight with you because it'll tee up our the second half of our conversation here. Um, I had to mute your tweet I had to mute your tweet over the weekend because you tagged me in it, and the replies are out of control. I mean, I thought I had trolls. Holy, <laughs> Professor! Uh, you want to take us into this? It's up on the screen. You want to read this, and then let, let's talk about the replies that you got to this.
3: Yeah, and I, you know, I just wrote a piece on this topic with with my colleague Blake Murdoch. Uh, this is really in response to an increasing trend that I'm seeing, and th- and this is. A, a revisiting of the pandemic to suggest that it wasn't as bad as people said. Uh, look, the public health measures didn't work. In fact, they were a crime. Uh, vaccines don't work. It's this revisionist history. And unfortunately it's, it's, it's a theme that is really getting a lot of traction. So I just wanted to to be very clear that uh, that's deeply wrong. <laughs> that, that, that revisionist history is deeply wrong, right? There are, the vaccine saved tens of millions of lives, right? Tens. They they were a massive scientific success that we should be celebrating. Yes. uh, Complications emerged with Omicron. Yes. There was bad, uh, early days about things like, you know, it's impact potential impact on transmission, but there's just no doubt. It's a, it's a scientific truism that they were fantastically successful. Uh, and, and and the same with other public health measures yeah, absolutely hard to study masks well yes, we learned that masks aren't necessary outdoors that's science it evolves right but but in general, if you look at the body of evidence it tells us that in jurisdictions where they did not have robust public health measures, there were more deaths more hospitalizations and the other thing I think is really important to highlight is it, it, there wasn't this huge economic benefit for not having public health measures. And there have been interesting studies around Sweden, for example. There was a study that came out looking at all the Nordic countries. They found no short-term economic benefit, and that's where you'd see it, right, uh, from Sweden's approach, and more deaths and hospitalizations in in Sweden. Uh, there have been other studies. There was one that came out in Nature earlier in 2021, uh, same result. They found that, that Sweden's approach led to far more deaths and no other apparent uh, Uh, Benefit, and if I could, I I know I'm going on for a bit. I do find it so ironic, uh, so ironic when you have the alt right praising Sweden. I I just love it. You know, you know, they are they going to embrace all of Sweden's other kind of economic policies? You know, free education, all totally free healthcare. Yes, I know they've just elected a right wing, but that's Sweden right wing, right? Uh, So the other reason I'm raising that is it's complex, right? Because Countries have their own cultural approach. And in Sweden, there's no doubt they have a more community ethos. So research also tells us they were following, Many, most Swedes were, were following public health measures. It wasn't like Sweden also pretended like the pandemic didn't exist. And that's the other myth that I find really aggravating is those who are doing this revisionist history are talking like there were these lockdowns, like hardcore lockdowns that went on for two years. It was this binary argument, right? Versus open society, and that wasn't the case anywhere in the world. Every jurisdiction struggled to balance the two. Uh, and uh, so we have this continuum that we look need to look at. It's not this, this binary
0: uh, approach that's often portrayed to support this revisionist vision. I don't know if you knew this or not. I don't know if it's why you're touching on Sweden. I don't think so. But our very first interview in this new studio last Tuesday, just after Thanksgiving, Alberta's new premier sat in this chair right beside me and cited Sweden as an example for a lot of her perspectives or, or the base for a lot of her perspectives on masking public health measures or perception of freedom, uh, the, the intersection of, uh, of evidence and and economic friendliness, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and I was actually looking forward to talking to you. I, wanted to, I have Sweden written down on my paper, so I'm glad you brought <laughs> it up because I think the average person, Tim, we hear about Sweden all the time as an example. And a lot of people, uh, you know how we go like just the average person, like me included, not talking about you, but people go, wow, you know, Sweden. And everyone goes, oh yeah, Sweden. But deep down inside, nobody really, like if you put someone on the spot and said, give me like three bullet points about Sweden and the example that it sets and what the takeaway should be, I don't know that on either side of the argument, the average person could. So so could you give us like your take boiled down? Maybe this is an unfair assignment. Maybe I'm asking you to oversimplify something very complex but a couple of talking points that can inform a Real Talk subscriber the next time Sweden comes up in the conversation around COVID measures.
3: Yeah, I, happy to do this. And I hear it all the time. I almost hear it daily, right, as, as an example. It's, it's almost become a you know this cliche talking point, a, a totem, right, an ideological flag that is raised. Uh, so Sweden, as people probably know, they use less aggressive measures in the context of COVID. So that doesn't mean that they completely ignored it. As I said, they used less aggressive measures, including compared to their Nordic partners. So the bottom line is studies have, I think, consistently shown, even if you're being generous to their approach, right, that it's a much more complex story than the advocates portray. It, there, there's just no way you could say that this is a definitive example of a success uh, story in the approach to COVID. I I think that the what the body of evidence tells us is it didn't work. And studies have shown that, as I said, I, I think the data on this is pretty good. More deaths, more hospitalizations, and no clear economic benefit. But we have to be careful not to overinterpret the data, right? We have to be humble in our interpretation of the data. This is super, super complex. If you look at it globally, if, and if you look at the regions that were less likely to impose um, uh, public health measures there. It's just clear more deaths, more hospitalizations. A lot of studies have been done in the United States in really clever studies where they look at counties that voted for Trump versus counties that voted for Biden. And you see a clear pattern in almost all of the metrics, death, hospitalization, vaccination rate, uptake of ivermectin, right? You know, in the co- counties that voted for Trump, more ivermectin, uh, more death, less vaccination, more hospitalization, uh, and so that's just looking at those two, you know, areas: Sweden and the United States. Uh, the pattern is pretty consistent uh, around around the world. But it, it, you do have to come at this with intellectual humil- humility. There's so many variables here, and I think that we do need to do. And no one disagrees with this is study it right study it and and so we're better prepared for the next pandemic and that's the other problem with this revisionist history right because it invites people to distrust right it's going to make it more difficult going forward to use evidence-based public health measures if they're needed i hope they're not but it's, it seems almost inevitable because they're creating this narrative that's being just consumed by a particular set of uh, of society that they didn't work, weren't necessary. In
0: fact, there were a crime it just uh oh gosh i have the there's the little voice on my shoulder right now saying professor caulfield just asked us all to adopt intellectual humility um and and i never want to i never want to put myself in the camp of intellectuals but i know a few (laughs) you included so i so i don't don't want to be dismissive and we've talked about our trend to dehumanize people and and just last week we talked to sarah elder Chaminara she's an, an entrepreneur and a former political staffer about polarization in society i think it's a real issue i think that Real Talk has a mandate uh, to to have you know reputable conversation here and and to to include different perspectives and try to arrive at at, a, at an evidence-based uh, position. We talked to Sapria DeVetti last week about Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health talking about what COVID winter could look like in that province and and, and i guess i've just right now you know it's interesting because I, I look at pushback on on things like vaccines and mass people saying they didn't work i saw someone one of the replies to your tweet before i muted the thread my apologies again someone <laughs> said to you where's your proof where's your proof caulfield that the that, that, that vaccine saved millions of lives i mean you know how are you going to prove it but but it just is to me it's like these are conversations that you almost want to write off because they seem silly but at the same time so many people have that perspective that we that we can't write it off, and if we see COVID numbers rising again, predominantly you know, we hear this from ICU docs. We're hearing this from respiratory therapists. We're hearing this from people in the ERs. Hospitals across the country are saying that numbers are back on the rise, and they're saying that the mass—I mean, the majority of these people are unvaccinated people, and to a certain degree, there's a lack of sympathy from the general public. It's like when a drunk driver isn't wearing their seatbelt and they're injured in an accident, like. Honestly, people care a little bit less. They they do, and I guess I'm just like looking to you right now for your perspective heading into what appears to be. I don't I don't know if it's if if it's accurate to call it another wave, but health officials are ringing the the alarms right now. Numbers are on the rise again. We we can't be com- we can't
3: be complacent, and and I totally get it. You know, balancing trying to get back to normal and taking sensible steps. Uh, to stop uh, another another surge. Look, the data on vaccines is just so crystal clear. We have so many studies on on the COVID vaccines, um, good clinical trials, observational studies. We have ongoing you know safety monitoring uh, around the world, not just in Canada but around the world. Uh, the the amount of data that we have about these vaccines is absolutely astounding. And and, and yes, people go, oh, it's big pharma data. And no, we also have independent data. It's just absolutely crystal clear, the effectiveness and safety. Now, really interesting questions about boosters, you know, when you should get them, you know, what's the best sort of um, pattern for, for getting the boosters. And those are conversations that that we ha- should have. But, but there's still a lot of emerging, really good evidence, uh, some data recently published in JAMA, for uh, example, that tells us that, again, Boosters matter. They really do make a difference, especially for the older demographic, those, those who are, are vulnerable. So we need to get boosters. I, I think that we need to to watch the emerging evidence about what we should, the sensible steps that we should take in order to, to deal with the rising numbers. Uh, but there's good news here, right? We have learned from this pandemic. And I think we also have to remember, this was a pandemic. We were all scrambling, Right. Uh, and yes, maybe we overshot. Uh, uh, we're overly cautious in some situations, but the good news is now we've learned a lot, and, and we can be more targeted. For example, masks outside—is that—is that even necessary? Uh, we've learned, right? We've learned, and, and I think the intellectual humility thing is is really really important. I, I think there's a, a, a sort of a, a a test that you can use, or 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 a, a an exercise, an exercise that you can do. Ask yourself. Uh, what have you changed your mind about based on the evidence about your own experiences you ask yourself you know i've changed my mind about things in the context of covid and and you know exercise things i've studied you know i have this list of things i've changed my mind about and your colleague's going to change his mind about art for example once he has a more rich experience (laughs) about art not likely You (laughs) a dog's playing pool and he's going to (laughs) segue to more sophisticated things Yeah, but Uh, I think that, you know, we can do these activities and
0: and I, I wish more
3: people would would
0: reflect like that. You can find uh, Professor Timothy Caulfield online, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Caulfield Tim. You can uh, check out his book. I encourage you to do so. Relax, Dammit, A User's Guide to the Age of Anxiety. And if you want to search Netflix as well, uh, his series, A User's Guide to Cheating Death. Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's, it's always a, a pleasure to chat with you the way that you can. You probably wouldn't prefer me to f- put it this way, but the way you can dumb down <laughs> the smart stuff so the rest of us can understand it really is appreciated. Tim, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really, really enjoyed it. You got it. That's Professor Timothy Caulfield, Charles Adler coming up in uh, just a moment. Uh, Before we get there, uh, John, uh, I told you we were rolling in hot, a road trip yesterday, coming home, and uh, Wyatt's telling me from the back seat, he's going, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and he goes... Can we stop at Dairy Queen? I said, oh, we sure can. We sure can, Wyatt Rudy. And so I had a chance to actually order a couple of the things that I've been raving about here, starting with the pumpkin pie blizzard. I can report that this thing is nothing short of... Phenomenal! <laughs> it, if you're a pumpkin pie lover, you have to head to a Dairy Queen in Palisades de Mayo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road if you're anywhere near any of those locations, and get your hand on a pumpkin pie blizzard. Absolutely fantastic stuff. If you love pumpkin pie, you're guaranteed to love it. And then, of course, the Signature Stack Burger combo. I personally went with the Two Cheese Deluxe. This is the Triple Burger. If you're watching this on YouTube, look at this. I wanted to say the one thing about the Dairy Queen Signature Stack Burgers, they actually look in real life like they look in the advertisements. And you can't say that about all the places. This thing didn't stand a chance. It didn't (laughs) make it out of the parking lot. I took that thing down At about 10 seconds flat You are a
1: parking lot burger guy
0: Oh dude I, I find see. Th- You send I-
1: me all the time You can't can't get it
0: home, can you? No, No, you can't get it home. Those things are designed to be crushed in the parking lot. Get your signature stack burger today at a Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I also want to give a big shout out to our friends at Park Power. You know, electricity costs have been on the rise. They've almost tripled in some circumstances, depending on the rates you pay, depending on your plan, of course. And here comes winter. So if you're going to be running space heaters, if you're going to be using different methods to keep your home heated, obviously costs are going to rise. Natural gas and electricity, two-thirds of what Park Power offers, along with internet. You can compare your rates today. Get yourself set up to save some money before the real cold weather hits. Don't forget the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill from parkpower.ca. At Local Environmental Services, they're keeping it local across the prairies, Alberta and Saskatchewan. This family-owned business is providing better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. There's so much more than just Garbage, Water hauling, portable toilets, fencing, vacuum truck services. Whether it's temporary or more permanent, they are your source for front load and roll-off bins. Entrepreneurs take note. They promise they can offer you a better rate than what you're currently paying those big multinational corporations. You can find them online at localenvironmental.ca. Of course, they present Trash Talk every Friday right here on the show. And a big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping as well. This is a perfect time of year to get in touch with them. You're like, what are you talking about? What, you think we're going to do landscaping work in December, in January? No, but you might be in store for a bit of a shock when you realize that once you want to get your project started in the spring, sometimes the permits and the prep and the designs ordering the construction materials can take weeks or even months. So why not get in touch with Mike and his team today? Custom landscape builders with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You'll find Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca.
1: Wrap it up, Ben.
0: Our Real Talk Studio band. It's great to see them all in here this morning. Looks like a couple of them got into one this weekend by the looks (laughs) of it. Let's check in. Uh, This is a great honor that this show has every Monday, the first show of every week at least, to check in with Emmy Award winning RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award winning talk host, the legendary Charles Adler. Chuck, it's great to see your face
4: again. Welcome back. My honor. My honor. <laughs> hey, let me ask you about this. How's the sound, by the way. I've got, I've got, I've got audio issues here. No, your sound, sound is okay? perfect. Video right. looks
0: great. Your okay. real talk snapback cap has never looked better. You can well, find. You asked me last week.
4: week to fix the video filter because you said I had a. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I looked like the, the Joker or, or something. <laughs> well,
0: what was it? What did we call it, John? It was like it's a Zoom filter, Chuck. It was
1: giving him like yeah. a, some yeah. lipstick. Yeah, blush it was like you had a goatee.
0: This, yeah, you had like a
4: lip gloss, electric no, silver goatee. Um, Probably a bad, bad party, and uh, yeah. blaming the filter.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, you had a couple of buddies over for a bourbon, and one of them no, got into yeah. your Zoom settings we're, to we're, prank yeah. the Titan of Talk.
4: Yeah, we're doing this Monday without the vomit bucket. By the way, we're gonna. We're not going to need that. That was one of your m- more memorable
0: <laughs> quotes. From You joined us last week. It was on Wednesday's show after we had the new premier of Alberta in on Tuesday, and you, you talked about this yeah. this vomit bucket, which which uh, w- was used metaphorically, but it did get us thinking, you and I, that maybe there was an untapped merchandising opportunity there. <laughs>
4: well, I was thinking, you know, real talk. Grant uh-huh. like Jeff- Jefferson, real talk, vomit buckets. And the, the vomit bucket thing came up because you asked me why I had adjusted my my replies uh and i I mentioned that you know if if i just open the twitter up to everybody what what happens is uh, all of the right-wing nut jobs they just kind of vomit in the thing all day long Uh, there's nothing absolutely nothing useful that comes of it and every morning when i wake up the first thing i have to do is clean out the bucket with all of their stuff about trudeau 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 blackface by the way do you think i I, next time we talk to tim tim caulfield Let's ask him. Is there going to be like a, a psychiatric condition for those people who have been doing this Trudeau, Trudeau, Trudeau for years now? Huh. I mean, it's, it's one thing, okay. So you put your bumper stick on the truck and then you go whatever. But if you're if you're on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, like every hour, everything is about Trudeau and everything is about blackface. I mean, at some point, is that not a psychiatric condition? Hmm.
0: I wondered, like. For me, the accounts that and and by the way, there were people that were inspired uh, by by you limiting your replies on social media. So here's the deal, folks. If you didn't know, unless Charles and, and many others have taken this step as well, unless you either have mentioned someone in a tweet or unless you follow that person. Uh, they cannot reply to the content you put out there. And I saw a couple of Real Talk uh, fans, Real Talk subscribers had had referenced you in limiting their own replies. One in particular, Shauna on Twitter, I saw her say, she says I know that this is going to drop my engagement down. The way that the algorithm works, If you, the one thing that will really cause a tweet to take off is the engagement, right? Yeah. And if you yeah. limit your engagement, you limit, uh, in theory at least, the exposure of that tweet. But she said it's worth it for her mental health for her her sense of stability you know uh she said for you know to maintain these relatively calm waters my words not hers she doesn't care and i thought yeah, it was and an I, can, I can step. confirm
4: what the sean is saying because i get somewhere between eight and ten million engagements every 28 days so that's about a month so no big eight deal and, eight, and, eight and ten million and my engagements are down Ooh. i don't know half a million or something so i mean i give up some engagements but it's really worth it not just because i don't want to clean out the vomit bucket every every morning that's not that's part of it i mean some of some of that you know we can we can have a few laughs about but it's better for the it's better for the viewers i mean i'd rather have them see a twitter that's filled with uh, thoughtful stuff sometimes pithy stuff sometimes you know irony sometimes a little bit of humor but all of that is better than just seeing Trudeau, Trudeau, you know that uh, obsessive uh, compulsive thing that the the, the nut jobs do i I really don't think it's attractive uh, to the masses of people who are Viewing Twitter, and I, I'd recommend it to anybody.
0: Hey, I wanted to ask you this, uh, and I've been looking forward to this uh, all weekend. You've probably seen this video. John can roll it while we talk about it. But this is out of the National Gallery, these two demonstrators uh, yeah. representing a group called Just Stop Oil, throwing two cans of tomato soup—I should say the contents—throwing yeah. tomato soup uh, against a glass-protected uh, sunflowers. The masterpiece by Van by Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh, at the National Gallery. They've been charged with damage under five thousand pounds, which will probably. Be be you know i mean you know some community service or what have you not a really big deal on the, on the on the judicial side but uh, as they glue themselves to the wall here to make their point about climate action about cost of living uh what's your what's your angle on this story here
4: well, my angle is some people need to go out and, and get a job uh, you know w- whether it's parking your big ass uh, tractor trailer in downtown ottawa and honking and honking and honking and uh, keeping women and children and and dogs at bay, or whether it's throwing tomato juice at, at art, whether you know there's a glass covering or not, it's, I mean there there are better ways of getting your point across. And we're supposed to be this intelligent human race. We're supposed to be at the the top of the intellectual food chain. I mean, how much of an intellect does it take to throw tomato juice at a piece of art? So I'm not, I'm not I'm not into uh, those kinds of uh, demonstrations. They make noise. And I guess the whole point is they get clicks. They do get clicks. They do get attention. And if you're just an attention to the getter, to me you're on the level of a streaker. So um, if you're asking me the straightforward question, are you for this or against it? I'm a hundred percent against it.
0: But let me ask you this, and and this is not even me being devil's advocate. This is this is a sincere question, and yeah. you know whether it's throwing tomato soup against a masterpiece. Whether it's hanging yourself, uh, and I'm not talking, you know, in a death sense, but like suspending yourself, let me say, uh, from from one of the Vancouver bridges to to protest, you know, shipping through sensitive routes. Uh, Whether it's burning your hijab in Iran, whether it's lighting yourself, a monk lighting themselves on fire in a town square, like whatever the protest is, it has been employed through centuries, through millennia, Mm -hmm. maybe, as a way to get to demand the public's attention. I guarantee, had these two young. Women 20, 21 years old uh, set up a news conference in London or Manchester to to you know invite the local reporters to to hear their perspective on cost of living. They might have got one reporter to show up and they'd have a couple thousand views. This way, 50 million people minimum have seen it and are talking about it. So you know, with with regards to you know the kind of idea, go out and get a job, do something productive. They might say you know, what they've done is more effective than anybody pounding the pavement or working nine to five to accomplish the same thing could have possibly dreamed up.
4: For millions of years, the devil has required great advocacy. Tonight, they have found one. His name is Ryan Jefferson, devil's advocate at large. I (laughs) I, I don't doubt anything you say, but how much of this do we want to put up with? You know, you talk about people suspending themselves from the, the bridge. I mean, I, I've been in those things, you know, and I'm in traffic and, you know, uh, supposedly it's, it's all about uh, stopping pollution, right? And there I am polluting the hell out of the skies of Vancouver. Why? Because I can't move because I'm, I'm suspended in traffic. I mean, there, there are millions of these examples. If, if if you want to basically give a license to people to do anything, any kind of vandalism, any kind of polluting, in the name of getting attention, because nothing is more important than people having to pay attention to your cause, no matter how much of a pain in the ass you are, then then fine, go for it. But you know, I have to say I, I'm against it because the more we promote these things, the more people will stop doing their jobs and get more and more involved in in becoming public nuisances. I still want to believe, although the news conference may not be the best idea, I still want to believe that we can persuade people to do the right things without having to throw tomato juice mm. at art.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, yeah, uh, we could talk about this for two hours. Uh, we could talk about this for a week. Um, I, I think that, that, you know the idea that the average person will not be compelled by something that that is less than compelling sticks um i also think that there is a point to be made about how uh, a stunt like this can actually alienate people that would otherwise be sympathetic to a cause and so i think that that's something that begs conversation as well let's bring our conversation a bit closer to home i wanted to ask you about this we're now you know just coming up on a week we're six days into daniel yeah. smith's tenure as alberta premier and and it's become clear uh, who was it that said this i think it was alberta political blogger Dave Cornwayer or someone else said it's becoming increasingly apparent that opponents of Danielle Smith's United Conservative Party leadership bid failed to do any meaningful research uh into her recent background and it's been the opposition NDP that's been pushing brown envelopes to reporters everywhere this place included Uh, relating to her locals page now after she left chorus radio resigning from her provincial talk show she 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 headed to this platform where she would take questions she'd pose small editorials and videos including uh this is about a year ago uh her take or at least at the beginning of the russia ukraine conflict her take on on ukraine and neutrality i want your take on it but first here's an excerpt from that video from alberta's now premier
2: what are your thoughts about the peace plan for Ukraine Russia? No one seems to be pushing. Is this one of the is this the older one where Ukraine said that they would be neutral and also denuclearized? Because that should have been the answer right from the beginning. If I'm missing something and there's some new plan, let me know. It 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 would be absurd if you want to try to draw a parallel. It would be absurd for Canada to have nuclear weapons and be allied with Russia and not think that that was going to upset America. So why would we be surprised if Russia is upset because Ukraine has nuclear weapons and is allied with the United States? So I think the only answer for Ukraine is neutrality. And there's been thriving nations who have managed with neutrality, Switzerland being the most obvious example. So if there's something more you want to add to that, if you think I'm missing something, let me know, because um, I-, I thought that that was the solution from the beginning.
0: Okay, Uh, I'll get to Danielle Smith's follow-up on that. She's released a statement, two statements already, less than a week into the the tenure, but your your immediate thoughts.
4: Well, you know, she says, unless I'm missing something, Danielle, we've known each other for many years now. You're missing everything. You're missing the boat. You're missing the harbor. You're missing the water. You're, You're missing it. What are you talking about, nuclear weapons? Ukraine hasn't had nuclear weapons, Danielle Smith, since you were a teenager. What are you talking about? And what are you talking about a peace plan? There was no peace plan. Russia's issue isn't neutrality. Do you honestly think Russia is raping Ukraine, which is what they're doing, committing genocide, men, women, and children, rounded up, tortured? Do you honestly think that this is about Ukraine and NATO? Russia doesn't want Ukraine to be neutral. Russia wants Ukraine to disappear. Genocide is about murdering. Massive amounts of population. You choose a particular ethnic group or national group, you go after them. That's what Vladimir Putin is doing. He's doing Nazism. Nazis don't want neutrality. Nazis want to destroy, to eviscerate, to disappear people. So they want Ukraine as an independent state to disappear. So, I mean, I, I'd love to say that some of what Danielle Smith had to offer to her. Her viewer, her listener, her subscriber, I'd love to say that some of it had some salutary effect, some sort of educational impact. I'd love to say that it even was as valuable as people throwing tomato juice at art, but it wasn't even that.
0: Uh, her office releasing uh, just yesterday, so on, on a statement from the premier of Alberta on a Sunday, uh, yesterday's attempted politicization of the Russian invasion of Ukraine by Rachel Notley's NDP and their allies is offensive and inappropriate. I wonder if that's a swipe at the media, by the way. But I digress. She says her Ukrainian great grandfather fled communism, immigrating to Canada after World War One when he changed his surname to Smith. She says, my Ukrainian heritage is something I deeply cherish and value. My political beliefs are largely born out of a complete distrust of the socialism from which my great grandfather fled. And she goes on from there. People can read the full statement by by checking out the premier's Twitter profile. Tough first week uh, for this premier, but she's finding her footing, a political scientist Dwayne Bratt had this to say on Twitter uh, over the weekend as well, which I thought was interesting. He said, I don't expect that someone who's premier of Alberta or at the time planning to run for UCP leadership when the video was filmed uh, to be an expert on foreign policy. But this is about Ukraine, which is really important to Alberta. He says this was two months after the war had begun. How does Daniel Smith not know that Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons to Russia in 91? Like you just said, Chuck. He said also there's a strong link between anti-vax sentiment An opposition to Ukraine, promoted by Russian bots and Canadian far-right media. So I thought that was an interesting point by the political science prof Dwayne Bratt.
4: Well, any given night, you can watch uh, Tucker Carlson and uh, know that, I guess, within a few hours or a few days, Danielle Smith is going to be saying the same thing. And uh, Tucker Carlson is basically um, what Ayn Rand uh, used to call a useful idiot. Um, So he's not an idiot, uh, just as Danielle Smith is, is no idiot. Uh, but uh, th- these are people who, in an idiotic way, carry out Vladimir Putin's work. And uh, with all due respect to Daniel Smith's great-grandfather, I- I'm glad that uh, he came here uh, from Ukraine, and I'm glad that he had a family, and I'm glad that Daniel Smith was, was born. This is not anything personal about Daniel Smith. I like Daniel Smith a lot as a, a human being. I just wish she would read other sources. She seems to... And this is all part of the Justin Ling investigation that is available. Justin Ling, investigative reporter who uh, who did the work uh, that the, I guess, UCP opponents didn't want to do and checked out many of Danielle Smith's posts, some of which uh, we're airing here uh, on this particular podcast. Uh, Danielle Smith's great-grandfather would say that Vladimir Putin admires the Soviet Union. As far as Vladimir Putin is concerned, the worst day in the life Vladimir Putin was the day the Soviet Union died. He'd like to restore the Soviet empire. And restoration of that empire includes subjugating Ukraine, ending Ukrainian independence. Now, I don't know how many Ukrainian Canadians living in Alberta want to end Ukrainian independence. My guess is none of them do. My guess is none of them understand why Daniel Smith is completely on the wrong side of this on the wrong side of history and if she wants to speak as a libertarian or as a conservative or a a, a nationalist as someone who believes in freedom 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 what the hell is wrong with the idea of freedom for ukrainians daniel smith wants to talk about sovereignty for albertans what the hell is wrong with sovereignty for ukraine my question charles
0: Before we let you go, i got to ask you about this. Steve Bannon, former senior advisor to President Donald Trump, will be sentenced on Friday uh, after his conviction on two counts of criminal contempt of Congress, of course, relating to the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. The Justice Department asking this federal judge to sentence him to six months in prison and impose a $200,000 fine, this according to a new court filing, uh, quote, for his sustained bad faith contempt of Congress, Uh, based on his insistence on paying the maximum fine rather than cooperating with the probation office's routine pre-sentencing financial investigation. What's the significance of this conviction? What's your take on this uh, hearing, uh, these hearings into the January 6th attacks, and what does this mean
4: for Donald Trump? The significance of this is that uh, Steve Bannon has been the architect of January 6th. Steve Bannon knew that Donald Trump would lose and said before he lost, it's all on tape now, That, uh, you know, if the guy loses, uh, he will deny that he's lost and uh, he will galvanize uh, his base and he will get his base to want to make sure that Donald Trump, come hell or high water, stays in power. So Steve Bannon was very much for uh, the insurrection. I guess we we have to now call it the, the, the attempted insurrection on January 6th. And when Steve Bannon was asked to testify about what he knew and he knows a lot. He showed nothing but contempt for Congress. Well, just like contempt for for the court system in Canada, contempt for the court system in the U.S., contempt for Congress is punishable with jail and fines, and he will likely get both this Friday. Charles Adler, the Titan
0: of Talk. You can find him on Twitter, at Charles Adler. If you're lucky enough, he'll follow you back, so you can reply to his tweets. We'll see you again in a week, my man. Thank you, Ryan. You got it. That conversation is presented by our good friends at the Friesen Brothers, 16 locations across the province of Alberta. You know, we received our Friesen Brothers flyer in the mail just on Friday, and it reminded me to draw your attention to the fact that if you haven't seen one, but of course, tightening the family's purse strings or at least keeping an eye on the budget is one of your top priorities right now. If you go online to Friesen.com and click on flyer, you can, you can find a couple of different ones. Their weekly flyer with great specials on all your grocery essentials, but also your family essentials. They're a family business, still family-owned, started in 1955, and that's always been their focus. They understand that every family's busy, and that's why they have their range of family essentials to help you save on the everyday products that you use the most, including Alberta beef, Alberta pork, Alberta chicken, fresh produce, quality grocery products. And did I see, John, on your Instagram story... (laughs) I knew you were gonna do this the plant-based families
1: this is crazy
0: no longer must deny themselves the beauty that is baby bell cheese
1: baby bell you know it's a whole it's a whole adventure opening it unwrapping it peeling it, got that it kind out of, of wax. the glass wax yes the smell hits your nose the, the the stickiness on your fingers and now you can enjoy it in plant-based form and I'm gonna say this I'm gonna go on record and say this is the best plant-based cheese Unmelted For real That I haven't had at a restaurant Unmelted Raw Out the gate Out the fridge That I've ever tasted The John
0: Hicks endorsement
1: And I saw you went there too
0: Oh yeah, well of course we were hitting the road and so you know I'm going to pick up some Friesen Brothers sourdough cinnamon buns that's a staple for us, on our way out of town doesn't matter where we're going, sometimes it's for us and sometimes we present it as a gift if we're visiting family or friends that are outside of a community that has a Friesen Brothers you can find them again online at Friesen.com of course our road trip happened in our Dodge Ram 1500 Longhorn I love that thing on the highway it's uh, courtesy of our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge with Alberta's best selection of Chrysler Jeep and Ram, including, of course, the very popular Jeep Grand Cherokee. That's North America's best-selling SUV in history. You can shop online. Check out the 2023 Dodge Hornet. You can pre-order yours online or visit our friends in person at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. And I mentioned this iPad that I've got on the table. I'm approaching it with caution, John, considering the <laughs> I mean, demolishing the screen of my MacBook Pro just last week. Our friends at Westworld Computers are continuing to help us get the hardware and the customer support that we need to run this talk show digitally every single day. They are your Apple experts. If you're in the Edmonton area, you can visit them on their 170th Street location, or you can always shop them online from anywhere at Westworld. .ca. They're all stocked up with the brand new iPhone 14 Pro. I think I've convinced my wife. Her 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 contract's up. Uh, her phone contract and and her her phone's kind of lagging behind. Upgrade? She, well, she's from the Church of Samsung. Oh. And she saw. I, I've got the 13 Pro Max. The iPhone 13 Pro Max. She saw a photo that I took of her this weekend. She goes. I think I need to get that iPhone 14 yeah. Pro.
1: Sam, Samsung's a good phone. It's just that.
0: It's and not the Android iPhone.
1: people are different than iPhone people. I'm surprised they're still married.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, we, we, we've been finding common ground now, John, for 15 years. <laughs> yeah. But she's going to make the switch, and she's going to get her phone from Westworld Computers. All right. Uh, you know, every Monday as we wrap up our short, at least the first show of every week, our friends at Kubi Energy give us uh, oftentimes just, just a perfect reason. This is like a mile marker in our week to laugh or to feel our spirits or our buckets filled. You know what I mean? It's a feature... We call positive reflections, and sometimes it's something that that we've dug up, and sometimes it's an email that we've received. But this, this is a link from Annabelle, and we really appreciate this, Annabelle. I think it's the first time we've heard from you. She passes along this link. This is a video uh, from earlier this year. This is a French TV show called "C'est Mon Choix," where, you know, it's, "It's My Choice." And they got together. They had this panel discussion. It's a talk show, and uh, they get together a bunch of people. That have unique laughs now they got them all talking and they were trying to get them going and the hosts were doing a pretty good job we watched the extended cut and then all of a sudden the magic happened and so this is what happens on this french tv show c'est mon choix when you get a (laughs) whole bunch of people with unique laughs in a room together i dare you to try to keep a straight face as you listen to this (laughs) Vous êtes célibataire, c'est pas à cause de votre rire. J'espère pas. Non. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Like,
0: is this not the greatest? (laughs) See, I want to be friends with that person. Who's the one with the? Geek, 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 that is the Sounds best. Sounds like a
1: bird. A it sounded call like something, something out of the
0: Amazon rainforest. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic, Annabelle. We watched it three times in a row after you sent us the link. My face hurts from smiling right now. Thank you so much. You can send us your positive reflection, whether it's something that made you double over with laughter or something that just made you go, ah to talk at ryanjesperson.com of course it's presented every week by our good friends at Kubi Renewable Energy you can get your free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca coming up on tomorrow's show we're going to talk to a comedian that was assaulted on stage that's right a guy flipped a table right at her She says it's a bigger problem. This is something that's happening to performers in live venues around the world. Coming up on Wednesday, our dear friend Brandy Morin's going to talk about that Edward R. Murrow Award she just received for her reporting on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Canada. And Thursday, mark your calendars, the return of psychologist and author Dr. Dr. Jody Carrington. It's going to be a great week. We're glad to have you with us along for the ride. Thanks for hitting like on YouTube. Thanks for rating our podcast. And thanks for telling your friends about Real Talk. We'll see you soon. Real
3: Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepherd. Website Design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.